Good morning, Mount Horeb. Man, it is good to see you guys. Uh, my name is Daniel Stevanis. If we haven't had the privilege of meeting, it is so good to be here with you guys. I work with our student ministry, and uh, man, we're having a blast over there. We're starting off our confirmation class today. We're super excited uh, to be doing that, and I'm honored and privileged to be able to share God's word with you guys. Um, it's 2020. So far, so good? Yes? No? Maybe? Okay, three people in front are excited about 2020. That's okay. Hopefully by the end of our time today, we will be uh, not just excited, but really expecting to what God has to do for us in this new year. And, um, you know, it's interesting because this is just the time of year where we, we naturally tend to think about uh, things new. Like, that's why we have the resolutions and we have everything we want to change and do differently. And we find ourselves at this time more than ever just kind of maybe reflective or, or, or thinking about what's to come. And it's easy in a time like this to kind of have this mindset, this attitude, um, especially in terms of the past of just like, forget the past. Okay, we have this desire most like, man, 2019 was not my year. This didn't happen or this bad thing happened. I'm ready to close the book and, and move forward. And, and what Trevor said last week and what we're hoping to show in this series is that, yeah, we, we are expecting about what's to come and we want to move forward. But if we're careful, if we're not careful, we could just cl close the book too soon and, and miss what God might be trying to show us from our past. And so we came up with this, this series called Hindsight because we all know that hindsight is... 2020, that's right. Just in case you hadn't made the connection, I'm just, I had to say it. Hindsight is 100% 2020. It's easier to look at the past and, and say, oh, okay, that makes sense. Oh, I see that. I get why that happened this way. But when we're going through it, man, it can be a little crazy. It can be a little hectic. And so we just want to take some time. We want to slow down, pause, hopefully long enough to go and look and see what was in our past, what has happened in the past. Because as we said last time, last week, our hindsight informs our foresight, and actually can affect our today. And Trevor did an incredible job as he talked about not just our past, but our future and how that affects our present and how we have to have this mindset of looking and, and kind of scanning through all that God is doing and what he's done and, and where he's taking us. And, and that informs where we are and how we live today. So it's really, really important. There's certain lessons that we can learn from our past that we maybe we wouldn't be able to learn in any other way. Now, 2019 was one of those years for me that kind of felt like, if I could just confess and be honest, I felt like I'm getting old. And I know people always think I'm crazy when I say that because they look at me like, but you're so young, you're not old. But let me tell you something. In 2019, I turned 33 years old. That's as old as Jesus was when he went back to be with the Father. Okay, do you realize that? And not only that, but, but in, in 2019, I actually reached 10 years of graduating from college. And maybe that doesn't make me old, but, but it makes me feel old. And it's funny because now I'm at the point where I'll get together. We actually had a 10-year college reunion, but we'll get together with our college friends and our buddies. And it's so funny because the stories start to change a little bit. And maybe you've experienced this, where, where stuff that happened in the past, you, you kind of see it a certain way in your head, but it's actually changed in your memories. It's changed in your mindset. You know, when we get together, we tell stories, and it's like, I, I don't remember all those details, I remember some of those things, but I don't remember those people being there. I don't remember getting in trouble for that. You see, when we look at the past, when we, when we think about what has happened in the past, sometimes the way we view it can change over time. We can have a wrong view or a different view of what has happened. But let me illustrate this some more. Uh, maybe you have a memory of a, of a place or a, a special meal that you like or something that, that is just like incredible that, that you think of fondly but then you experienced it again and it wasn't quite the same. 
Like I think about my, my grandmother's house. I have a grandma, she, she passed away a couple years ago, but, but my grandpa is still in Ohio in their house. And, and I remember going there as a kid and they had this incredibly, what felt to me like a large basement. It was just like the biggest basement ever. There was toys everywhere. There was all this basement. We put like Hot Wheels cars from like the top of the stairwell all the way down. It felt like it like, would take like three minutes for it to come down the stairs. And I remember like all these toys and, and all this basement. I remember going back as an adult and being like, this is a lot smaller than I thought. And I remember looking at the stairwell thinking like, I could probably run and sprint up with two jumps and get to the top of the stairwell. It wasn't quite the same. Or, or maybe it's, it's something different for you. Maybe uh, it, it's something like, like a place. Like, like when I was a kid, the place to go, the place to be for birthday parties, for fun days, for anything incredible was, are you ready for this? Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> Can I get an amen from the crowd? Chuck E. Cheese was the spot, all right? Like your parents would take you there. It, it was, you just thought it was gonna be like the best experience ever. You get these tokens to play the games and you'd win prizes that you could buy at the dollar store for like a lot cheaper. But you would win this stuff and you'd play the games. You were so amped up, you were so excited. You'd eat this pizza that if you go back there now, it's actually not that good. And it was just a weird premise. I think when I realized that it wasn't Chuck E. Cheese, it was Chuck E period cheese, that's when I realized it wasn't quite what I thought it was. I mean, they had, they had this mouse and these robotronic animals that would put on a 24-hour concert for you. Like, it was just a little bit weird. But we have this way of viewing things, of, of, of romanticizing the past, of romanticizing what has happened, of, of viewing things in the past with kind of these visions of grandeur that if we're honest with ourselves, or if we start to think about it long enough, we realize, man, maybe that wasn't quite how I remembered it. Maybe that's not quite how it was. Maybe it was a little bit different. And we can learn from that. You see, this forgetfulness, this, this view of the past that's, that's maybe inflated or maybe so perfect in our minds and our memories can happen with, with spiritual things as well. And maybe it has to do with the, 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 the life that we had before Christ. Maybe we think, well, it wasn't that bad. It wasn't that far off. Man, really, you know, I came to church. It was great. I learned it. But, but my life wasn't that bad. But if we think about it and we're honest with ourselves, we realize, man, my life without Christ would, would really be nothing. The life that I was living had no satisfaction, had no purpose, had no direction, no meaning until I came into a relationship with Christ. Or maybe it's the opposite. Maybe you feel like, man, because of my walk in relationship with Christ, it, it's been so long and I've been doing this for so long that I just don't get excited about it anymore. And maybe like the psalmist, we need to cry out and say, Lord, re restore to me the joy of my salvation. The joy of when we first met Christ, the joy of when we first came into to relationship with him, when we first joined a church, when we first started reading the Bible, being excited about everything that we were learning, maybe we need to go back to that. But it's easy for us and our memories and our thoughts to find ourselves in a place that's super inflated, that's super built up, and then when we think about it, it doesn't meet the expectation or the memory that's in our head. And this happens a lot to a certain people group in the Bible, and that is the Israelites, and so this morning, I want to talk to you about them. We're going to look at their story in, in Exodus chapter 16. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 16. And, and we'll do this. I'll, as you turn there, I'll tell you a little bit about their story, how they came to be, how they started. Because you see, the people of Israel were, were founded, were, were created by God. They, they were a chosen race that God created. In, in Genesis chapter 12, he goes, God goes to a man named Abram, later changes his name to Abraham, and says to him, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless your descendants. 
And through your descendants, through your line, through your lineage, eventually I'm going to rescue the world. Now, now they couldn't see into the future, but what he was talking about was Jesus. He said, I'm going to do an incredible work through your lineage, and, and eventually I'm going to give Jesus to you. He makes this problem, promise to Abraham, and part of the promise is that he's going to give him land. He's going to establish him as a great nation. And he gives this promise to Abraham, and eventually Abraham has a son, Isaac. And the promise gets repeated to Isaac and passed down to Isaac. And then Isaac has two sons, Jacob and Esau. Esau was the firstborn who should have gotten it, but you remember the story. Jacob tricks him for a bowl of, of soup of lentils, and then he tricks him when it's time to give the blessing. So the lineage is a promise of this great nation, of the land, of everything that's going to go with it, passes down to Jacob. And then Jacob has a lot of sons, one of which was Joseph. You remember the story? Tracking with me? And Joseph gets sold into slavery, and all these things happen to him, ups and down, up and down, up and down his story. And eventually he ends up in Egypt. There's a great famine in the land, and he reconnects with his brothers, reconnects with his father, and the whole race of Israel, which at that point was not very big, maybe like 47 to 50 people, end up in Egypt to find asylum, to find help, to be able to be safe from the famine in the land. And it's interesting because the book of Exodus then starts out in chapter one, where it says that there arose a Pharaoh who didn't know of Joseph. You see, Joseph was number two in command. He had helped them through the famine. He had done all these things. Their, their family had come over there to a land called Goshen, just outside of Egypt. And when they got established, he was this, this, this powerhouse for, for all of Egypt until eventually there was a generation that didn't know of him, a Pharaoh who had not heard about Joseph. When he started seeing how many people there were in Israel, how many Israelites there were living in his land, he started to get worried. He started to get nervous that they might try to overthrow him. And it says that that's when they decided to put him in slavery, in captivity, to use him to build things, to build up their, their empire at the time and treat them and oppress them, treat them poorly. And this goes on for some time. We don't know exactly the, 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 the amount of time specifically just during that piece. But eventually we get to a time where there's a man named Moses. And God uses Moses to free the people of Egypt, the, the people of Israel out of Egypt. And so where we find ourselves in this story is that, that Moses has gone to Pharaoh and he has said the famous line, let my people go. And, and, and Pharaoh has denied that and he's gone back and forth with him. He's shown some signs and wonders that have come from God. He then comes back with the different plagues. And eventually Pharaoh finally in desperation says, go get out. I just want you guys to leave. And so he takes all of the people of Israel, which were, were a ton at this point, and they start to flee. And of course, they reach the Red Sea and they have an issue there. And then they, they cross that. God provides for them. And this is where we find ourselves in chapter 16. Now, I'm telling you, because the people of Israel are known for this thing. They're known for this attitude of complaining, of grumbling, of going to God and going to Moses and going to Aaron, their leaders, and just, just being upset about everything that's happening. And actually, what we're going to look at today is the second time that they go and grumble and complain. Pastor Jeff over in the, in the sanctuary is actually talking about the first time in chapter 14 where they grumble and complain. So don't get up and leave now. But if you want to find out about the first time, go watch that later on online. But we get to chapter 16, and this is the second time that we see them going to their leaders, grumbling and complaining for what's happening. And so we'll pick up in chapter 16, verse 1. It says, they set out. This is speaking about the Israelites. They set out from Elam. And all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin. That's the name of a location, not a, a sin, the state of being. It says, which is between Elam and Sinai. And on the 15th day of the second month, after they had departed from the land of Egypt, 
Oh, verse two, the whole congregation of the people came and grumbled and of Israel came and grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, what that, or some translations would say, if only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread till we were full, for you have brought us into the wilderness to kill us and this whole assembly with hunger. And we need to understand this. We're going to look at these verses because the people of Israel up until this point have been living as slaves in Egypt. And Moses came on the scene and when he said, I'm going to free you guys, everyone was pretty excited. Everyone was pretty stoked. Nobody wants to be a slave. No one wants to be working for the Egyptians. No one wanted to be in the situation that they were in. And they were all excited and, and they get up and eventually thanks to God through Moses, they manage to, to, to leave and to escape and they meet their first obstacle and they complain about that. And, and, and God opens the Red Sea. They cross on dry land. The waters come back down, kill the, the army of Pharaoh and of the Egyptians. And they're on the other side. And it says here that they go and grumble and complain. It says, if only we had died at the hand of the Egyptians. They say, if only we were still back in Egypt. Now, now that sounds crazy to us. But why would they want to be back in Egypt? Now, it, it does say here, but I don't know if it was because they wanted to see the pyramids I mean, they were probably the ones building them. I don't think it was the economy. It says they sat by meat pots. I don't know what that is. That sounds a lot like a KFC chicken bucket. <laughs> it says they ate bread till they were full. Till they were full. Sounds like some unlimited breadsticks. Hello, Fazoli's. I, I don't know what it was. But it says they, they were stuck back in Egypt. Their mindset, their, their sight, their thoughts. They said, I wish we could be back there to die. And that would be better than what we're going through right here. They had an inflated view of their past. They had a wrong view of their past. They had this view of their past that like, man, it wasn't that bad there. It's like, wasn't that bad? You were slaves. What do you mean it wasn't that bad? You were praying for deliverance. You were hoping for freedom, for someone to come and, and, and free you. And now the second obstacle that you find, you say, you wish you were back there. Maybe the meat was good. Maybe the breadsticks were good. But really? You want to be there? You'd rather die there than trust in what God has for you? The other interesting part is at this point, it says here in verse 1, it says that this happened the 15th day of the second month. Now, I'm not a mathematician. That's about 45 days. It's about a month and a half. A month and a half into the journey. You know, people estimate that, that from Genesis 12, when the promise was first made to Abraham, all the way until this point of them being slaves and in captivity is probably 400 years. 400 years of, of, of waiting for this promise from God and spending some of that time in captivity as, as slaves, as, as people who weren't free, having to work for the Egyptians. They find themselves now, 45 days, 45 days into the journey, complaining, grumbling, saying, man, if only we were back there, if only we were still in Egypt. Now, I don't know what it is for you, but today we want to talk about what is Egypt. What's in our past that still draws us back? What has happened in 2019 or, or 2018 or 17 or, or 10 years ago or 20 years ago? What has happened in the past that's still holding us in the past? You see, our desire today is to become a product of our past and not to be a prisoner of our past. We want to look and see what, what has happened, learn from it, and be able to move forward with it and not be stuck and whatever it is that's holding us back. And so there's a couple of things that we can do. There's a couple of things that we need to realize. 
There's a couple of things that we need to understand. And the first one is that we have to understand that wounds become scars. Wounds become scars. You see, I don't know if you, if you think for a second about scars that you have. Maybe if you look at your hands or maybe it's your elbow, your knee, depending on how active you were as a child, probably. If you had a wound at some point, it may have left a scar. And it's so interesting. Like if, I, if, if we came real close and I kind of scrunched my nose, you'd see this little line on the bridge of my nose for this time that I'm actually at my grandma's house in Ohio, like I was telling you guys, I snuck up behind her one time, scared her. And, and just out of reaction, she like, kind of like turned around and, and sent me flying and I hit my nose right on the, the brick fireplace. Got a couple stitches, got a nice little scar. If you came up real close to me, there's, there's this one scar on, my, on my, my ring finger and I was in a rocking chair one time and I was rocking and rocking. I thought it was so much fun. I was a little kid and I kept rocking faster and faster and faster to eventually I, I rocked off the front of the chair and put my hands forward and went through a glass window. That was a lot of fun. I don't do this often because I, I just, I love the beard. But if I were to clean shave, you'd actually see a little tiny scar, a little tiny line that goes from my nose to, across my upper lip. And that's from the great bike race of 1992. <laughs> you see, I don't remember exactly what happened, but I remember that there was this guy who was making fun of something. It was either me my sister, or worse, my mom. And I knew I wasn't gonna let this guy make fun of me or my sister or my mom. I wasn't gonna let him talk like that. And so I did what I knew to do best. I was gonna challenge him to a bike race. Now he was older than me and he had a nicer bike than me, but that didn't stop me. I mean, this dude was making fun of something and I was gonna put it to an end. And so I challenged him to this bike race. And I remember knowing, like I knew this. I knew I was gonna lose because my bike was smaller, his was bigger. Mine was older, his was nicer. I mean, he, he had the gear shifts. I had the, the, the pedal backwards to brake. You know, like, like it was just, it wasn't a competition. But I said, I'm not gonna go down like this. And I said, I challenge you to a bike race. He said, let's do it. We got on our bikes. You know, we're ready. Just like feeling it, you know, I'm getting, getting amped up. I remember looking at him, looking at the track, looking at him. And now, now we live in this cul-de-sac where we kind of had like this, this, this like uh, U-shape and there was the main road on this side. And so this other side of the U-shape was a pretty dead road. Like not, there wasn't very many cars there. So we decided we were gonna race the length of it like we always did, but this time it was like for real, like it was serious. So I remember I got there and I remember who counted off. I don't, I don't remember all these details, but I just remember I had to race him and I had to win. And at some part we started the race and I'm pedaling. I look over at him, he's pedaling. And so I pedal a little bit faster. I see him start to switch his gears. I said, okay, I got that too. I stood up. <laughs> and I just remember pedaling so fast that I don't remember all the details. I just remember looking at him, looking ahead, looking at him. And suddenly one of us had this like sheer face of horror until finally we smacked. I don't know if it was into each other, into the wall in front of us. I don't remember the details. All I know is about 10 or 15 minutes later, I woke up. I was in the bathroom floor. My mom was staring over me like tears in her eye. My sister was like, had the phone ready to call 911. And I looked up, I said, did I win the race? <laughs> but you see, it was interesting because I, I ended up, I'm not sure, again, I don't, I don't even know what happened or how it happened, but I got this, this cut that went kind of across the top of my lip. And eventually it turned into, this is a nasty word, a scab. It eventually turned into a scar. And I remember when I was going to camp that summer, uh, th this is normal of little kids, when I had something weird looking on my face and, and I knew the kids weren't gonna wanna play with me, it just kinda like reacted like, dude, what's, what's going on there? 
But I had this one friend at camp, and I remember thinking, hey, that's okay. The other kids won't want to play with me, but this one guy, this one friend, it'll, it'll be cool. He'll, he'll still want to hang out with me. He'll still want to play with me. And I remember getting to camp, and guess what? He didn't want to play with me. He was afraid. I said, why don't you want to play tag? He's like, you got that thing on your lip. Now, the only reason I can share this is today is because I'm healed from that. <laughs> you see, because that, that, that wound eventually became a scab, became a scar, and now it can become a story. But that's something that takes time. It's a process to be able to move from that. Trevor used this verse last week. He was reading through Philippians, and, and he shared from Philippians chapter 3, verse 13 and 14. This is Paul speaking. He says, brothers, I, I do not consider that I have made it my own, or to have achieved all of these things. He says, but one thing that I do, I forget what lies behind and straining forward towards what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And what Trevor said last week is that when he says, I'm, I forget what lies behind, this isn't like I don't remember, but it's choosing to overlook, choosing to move on, choosing to move past. And when we look at our past, at the pain, at the wounds, at the hurt. We have to put ourselves in a position to choose to overlook it. Maybe we gotta forgive someone. Maybe we gotta talk to someone about something. Whatever we have to do, we have to be willing to say, okay, that has happened. I acknowledge that. How can I now move forward? How do I move forward in my walk with Christ? How can I learn from that and let these wounds heal and become scars and eventually even become stories that we can share with other people who are going through similar things. If we don't want to be stuck in Egypt, if we don't want to be stuck in this wrong view of our past, then we have to let those wounds start to heal. And the best way to do that is through our walk in relationship with Christ, allowing him to come and to provide the healing. The other way we get stuck in Egypt, that we get stuck in our past, that we have this wrong view of our past is through what the Israelites do so often, and that's grumbling and complaining. That's not us, right? This is a different audience. Grumbling and complaining. And if we're honest with ourselves, if we're real for a second, maybe, maybe we're, we're not like a student who says this in, in lament when they're asked to take the trash out. Maybe it's not during homework time. But if we're honest with ourselves, with our thoughts, with how we talk to others, with how we view things, are we guilty of grumbling and complaining? And if only I had this, if only I were at this point, if only I were that further ahead, if only these things, we start to think about the situation that we're in and we're not content with it. We're not okay with it. We're not happy with it. We grumble and complain, longing and wanting for something different, desiring something else. You see, the irony here in this passage is that they, they had only been 45 days in. And they had experienced God coming and rescuing them. They had experienced God coming and doing incredible things for them time and time again. Now, we have the benefit of being able to look into the future, but they actually were able to look at the, to the past. And right after this, if you continue to read chapter 16, we find out that God actually provides for them. And everyone knows about the manna from heaven, which essentially was the equivalent of bread, which is what they complained about. But he also provided for them quail a type of bird that they could eat for their protein. And maybe it wasn't like the meat pots, but, but God was providing for them. He was giving everything that they needed. And still, if you read through Exodus time and time and time again, they find themselves complaining, 
So we live in a culture that's okay with complaining. We live in a culture where it's kind of okay to, to state our, our grievances, sometimes even online. And we complain about this, we complain about that. There's so many things that, 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 that we just need to learn to, to be grateful. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, this is still Paul speaking in a different letter to a different church. He says, therefore, just as you received Christ the Lord, walk in him. Rooted, built up, established in him, in the faith, just as you were taught. And it says there, abounding in thanksgiving. Being thankful. Being grateful for all the things that we have. And sometimes people say, well, Stav, you don't understand. There's not a whole lot to be grateful for. My life is a mess. Or things are going crazy. Or, or I think we all have things to be grateful for. But we always tell our students to remember this, to, to write this stuff down, or to make a list of, of being grateful for their, their food and their home their family, all that God is doing for them. Be grateful for all the ways in which they, are, they are, are taken care of and provided for. But even more than that, I think if we stop and pause and think about scripture, there's so much in the Bible that says that we're grateful for. The fact that God called us his children, that he called us his followers, that he calls us to take care of us, that, that he provides for us, that he loves us, that he forgives, that we're his children. There's so much that we can be grateful for, usually just takes a shift in perspective. I remember in, in 2012, I was still in Long Island, New York, working at another church, and a pastor came up to me and said, um, listen, I'm, I'm leading a mission trip. I've been leading this trip to, to Cuba. And he had been going there for multiple years, and he said, I've been leading this trip every, every year, and usually it's a construction trip, and we go and we build stuff, and we help, and, and we do all these different things. And he was explaining to me, I kept thinking, like, I don't know why you would want me to come on this trip. And then finally he got to the end, and he said, this year they've called and reached out, and they said they actually need some, some teens to go on the trip. And he looked at me, and he, says, he said, I'm just going to be honest with you, I, I don't do teens. And I said, okay, well, that's okay, because I don't do construction. And so we looked at each other, and he said, I need you to come on this trip. I need you to bring a group of teenagers, and we're going to run a little bit of a vacation Bible school. We're going to do some games and testimonies. Can, can we do that? I said, no problem. So I assembled a team. We, we talked about a youth group. We, we got some students that were interested, some, some high school students, some young adults, and, and we started planning. We started preparing. And at one of our meetings, I sat down with him, and he said, okay, you're going to have to lead these different games. He's like, well, tell me about some of the games that you have. I said, oh, dude, we got this. I said, I got this one game where we take baby food. He's like pause. I said, what's up? He goes, well, they don't have baby food over there. And if we bring it, um, there's actually probably babies over there that are going to be like in need. And if we bring baby food, I'd rather we use it for these children. I said, no problem. I said, I got this other game that we can play with a pantyhose and a banana. And he stopped me. He said, first of all, that's weird. He said, second of all, um, he goes, yeah, if, if you have a banana, like we, I mean, food is kind of scarce over there. We'd probably use that. He said, in fact, probably no games with food uh, we should do over there. And so I looked at my list and I was like, scratch this, scratch that, scratch this, scratch that. And I learned, first of all, that we do a lot of games with food in youth ministry. I don't know what it is. Eggs, bananas, flour, I mean, you name it. But I started to think, okay, well, we'll just have to be creative. We'll have to like come up with a different plan. And so I remember going to the store and, and getting some stuff and getting some supplies. And, and as I was leaving the, the store, I walked by the craft section and I looked at it, and I remember seeing these, these two little buckets, these two tubes that just had some, some foam pieces of stickers. Now, I remember this specifically, because it was like $4.99 for a tub of like, you know, 300 pieces in it. I was like, that looks kind of good. And, and then I saw right next to it was the more expensive one with the cool shapes. Like this one had like dinosaurs and uh, alligators and, you know, giraffes and all kinds of animals. The one that I was looking at for, for $5.99 or $4.99, all it had was like circles and triangles and 
rectangles. I remember thinking like, man, when I'm kind of tight on the budget. I don't even know if I'm going to need this. I'll just grab this. And so I picked up the one with, with the lame shapes. Well, when we were over there in Cuba, we, we started doing an incredible ministry. We had such a good time. And I'll never forget this because one of the days we, we ended kind of early and they were all sitting there coloring their, their craft and their coloring book or whatever it was. And we had some time to kill. And I remember kind of looking and feeling like we were kind of dying. The, the time was kind of dying and we were just kind of like not sure what to do. And so I said, you know, I've got something. So I ran back to my room. I found my suitcase and I pulled out these foam little, foam little stickers I came by and I just took a little handful and put them at one table, put a handful at another table and another table. And I'll never forget the way that these kids' eyes just lit up. Like, like this was like the most incredible thing that I was giving them, you would have thought. I mean, this, this was the lame shapes. It wasn't even like the cool dinosaur ones. Like it was just like these throwaway stickers that, that we don't even need or, or use that I wasn't even sure if I was going to have use for. And it was like Christmas morning with these kids because their perspective was different. And they were so grateful. They were so thankful. They were so happy for such a small thing in my mind. I think sometimes we need to readjust our perspective. And we need to be able to be thankful and grateful for all that God is doing. We need to be thankful and grateful for where we are, for where we live, and and, and focus on some of the positive things instead of always worrying about what's missing or what's not there. You see, I don't know where your Egypt is, but if you want to move forward in, in 2020, if you want to grow from the past, if you want to not look at it kind of with this like this mirage look and think that it was so great and so awesome and everything was, was perfect, then we have to decide as we move forward to focus on what God has for us. And so we have to let the hurt, the wounds become scars. We have to stop grumbling and complaining like the Israelites And finally, we have to understand that God can be trusted because of his perfect track record. God can be trusted because of his perfect track record. You see, the Israelites, they they should have known this. And obviously, it's easy to kind of dog them because we we can see the, the, the past and we see the present. and We can even look ahead for what was their future. But they only had the present. They only had that very moment. But even in that moment, they had the past to look towards. The fact that God had made a promise to Abraham all the way back in Genesis chapter 12, they knew of that promise. They had heard of the promised land, but they allowed for their circumstances, the fact that they were in captivity to hold them down. They were allowing their their, their present circumstances uh, to, to not let them look back and say, wait, what did God say? God has this perfect track record. God was working. God had sent them Moses. God had sent the 10 plagues. God had just helped them cross the Red Sea on dry land and destroyed the whole Egypt army, the greatest power at that time. He had just delivered them from all of that and still they weren't able to trust. They weren't able to, to believe in God. They weren't able to believe that God was working something out. But you see, the truth is that God's faithfulness in, his past, in the past should give us confidence for the future. God's faithfulness in the past should give us confidence for the future and even more so than that, for our present, for all that's happening here and now, today. See, one of the interesting ways is that God doesn't always work in this linear way where A equals B and, and, and plus this and that. God works in kind of these like contorted ways sometimes. We don't always understand what he's doing, but we trust in his promises. We trust in the fact that his word is true and that what he says will come to pass. We, we trust verses like Romans 8, 28, where it says we, we know that for those who love God, all things will work together for good. We don't understand how, we don't understand in what way, but we trust that it's going to happen. 
1984, there was this famous movie that was released, The Karate Kid. Maybe you remember it with uh, Daniel's son, which I always loved that movie because my name is Daniel. And I kind of pictured myself as the Karate Kid. If you haven't seen that movie or if you haven't seen the remake with uh, Will Smith's son in 2010, the original movie starts with this, this kid, Daniel, who meets Mr. Miyagi, his karate trainer. And he's so excited because Mr. Miyagi promises to, to teach him the martial arts because he's being bullied at school and he wants to impress the girl, you know, typical movie. And when he goes and he sits down with, with Mr. Miyagi, when he goes to his first training, Mr. Miyagi starts to, give him, starts to give him these tasks to do that have nothing to do seemingly with karate. So I want you to, to, to refinish my fence. And so he's out there you know, painting this fence. And he's very adamant, you gotta paint it like this. He goes, I want you to, to paint the house. Because I want you to, to sand my deck. And of course, the famous one, I want you to wax my car. So you put the wax on and you take the wax off. And he gives him these instructions and, and Daniel's son just doesn't get it. He doesn't understand. He's frustrated. because I thought we were gonna learn karate. But on the first day, he's kind of like, okay. But as time goes on, weeks go on, he's like, don't get it. I'm, I'm supposed to learn karate. I'm not supposed to be doing your chores. And there's this pivotal point in the movie where Mr. Miyagi finally comes to him and shows him after he's done all of that, after he's been faithful, after he's done all of his chores, he says, now, now try this. And, and, and right as he, he goes forward, he, he calls out wax on or wax off. And, and he shows Daniel how the moves that he had been learning, the movements he had been practicing are actually teaching him karate moves. He says, if you take what we've been doing over the last few weeks, if you apply it now to martial arts, because you've already learned the basics, the fundamentals, you've already learned what you need to start your training. If he had just looked at his past, this would have been a bunch of chores that he was doing. But Mr. Miyagi was preparing and planning and moving and, and, and getting him ready for what he needed for the future, for the training, the competition, the bullies, everything. And in a similar way, God is working in our lives. I believe so firmly. Scripture says in so many different ways, he, he's not going to let these things go to waste. Whatever your past is, whatever has happened, maybe it's not last year. Maybe it was like literally 20 years ago. But you're still not getting over it. Whatever it is that, 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 that is causing that struggle for you, God has not forgotten about you. And we can become a product of our past or we can stay entrapped and become prisoners of that. What is your Egypt? How can you move forward today? I want to do something with you guys that we do with our students. I just want you to close your eyes and bow your heads. And before I pray, I'm just going to get quiet. And I just want you to take like 10, 15 20 seconds, I want you to pray in your heart where you are. Say, God, what is my Egypt? What's holding me back? What's something in my past that I can learn from? How do I have to grow? What do I need to stop complaining about? Where do I need to heal? How do I need to trust your perfect track record? Lord Jesus, we're so thankful for your word, for your scriptures. Father, we're so thankful that you say that, that everything that's happened in our past, Lord, you are, are using for our future. Father God, that you don't want anything to be wasted. 
that whatever we've experienced, whatever pain or whatever hurt or disappointment, or maybe even good stuff that we've kind of inflated in our minds that we, we, we look at with the wrong perspective. Father, I pray this morning that we would be able to see things the way you see them, that you would reveal to us, that we would be able to trust in you, that no matter what has happened in the past, that we can move forward in a new year and a new season and whatever you're calling us to do, Father. Father, we trust and believe that you want to do great things in and through us. And so, Father, heal our hearts Heal our pain, our wounds. Help them become scars and stories that we can tell other people. Ways that we can encourage and bless others. Help us, Father, to overflow with thanksgiving and not to be grumpy and complaining and see all the negative, Father, but truly to see all that you are doing for us. And finally, Father, help us to trust your perfect track record. Thank you, Father, for always delivering us, for always being truthful to your word, for being a trustworthy God. And Father, as we move into this new year, as we look in, with hindsight into our past, may you help us to grow, to learn, that we may become even better disciples, even followers of you, Father, who are so on fire, so passionate for you and for all that you have, that we're growing and developing and ministering to others. Jesus, we love you so much. We ask for all of these things in your precious name. Amen.